When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome into another edition of the Nick Bob Podcast, live from the AOI Podcast Studio, a.k.a. my basement office. Shout out to the people at AOI for a couple of things. First of all, for an amazing table slash desk that, that we got in here, and chairs. And speaking of the chairs, if you're looking for a new chair for your office, you got to check out the Aeron chair from Herman Miller. And when you are more comfortable sitting in your chair, let's be honest, you work harder, you work longer. I can record two-hour pods. I can watch film for hours in this chair that I'm sitting in right now. This chair is awesome. It's engineered with the latest research around the science of sitting, advancements in materials, manufacturing, and technology. And how about this? I couldn't believe this when I, when I read this. The Aeron chair that I'm sitting on right now, is such an iconic piece of design that it is on display at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City and the Chicago Art Institute. Bottom line, this is a great chair. I love it. To check out the Aeron chair and so much more, check out AOI online at aoicorp.com. That's aoicorp.com. Or give them a ring, 402-896-5520. That's 896-5520. Two zero. All right. It is Thursday, December 26. Hope everyone had a great Christmas. Mine was fantastic. Uh, watched Home Alone, watched uh, A Christmas Story, watched a little of Scrooge with my guy Bill Murray, and a little Christmas vacation. Drank some good wine, ate some good food. My daughter had a blast. She turns four in January, so she's, you know, loving life right now. It was great. Uh, <laughs> my the big gift I received, uh, I should say, I slash we, my wife and I both got, was a backpack leaf blower. That's right, people. You don't have to rewind it. Did he just say backpack leaf blower? Yes, a backpack leaf blower, which I'm actually really excited about. Come next fall, but have you ever noticed you, you can kind of tell you could you can totally tell what stage of coolness you're at in, in your life with what you get for Christmas. You know what I mean? <laughs> Apparently, I'm in the backpack leaf blower stage of coolness. You're like, oh, how cool is Nick Bob? He's like, gets a backpack leaf blower for for Christmas. That's how cool he is. <laughs> if, it's also like a backpack leaf blower is kind of the most dad gift too. You know, it's like, oh yeah, awesome. <laughs> Just so lame. But bottom line, Christmas was great. Uh, hope you guys had a, a good holiday. Uh, and by the way, if you haven't. Listen to the Christmas pod I recorded with Bo Rude. You got to do it. We talked a little football and basketball, but we also, the big thing is, we took a deep dive into Christmas and gave our top three Christmas movies, uh, top Christmas songs, top Christmas gifts we received. It was a blast. Make sure you go check that out. And while we're talking about the pod, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you subscribe to the pod. Just click that subscribe button. That time, anytime you want to, you know, you don't got to go seek out 
and type in, let me just see what's, uh, if, if, you know, Baja's got a new pop. Now, hey, it pops up right on your phone. Anytime you want to listen to podcasts, boom, it's right there. It helps you. It helps me. And that's what it is all about. On today's pod, uh, with the new year approaching uh, and ha- being that it's the end of a decade, everyone's kind of doing their all-decade stuff. So I wanted to do one for Creighton and Nebraska basketball. Now, I'm not I'm not doing a football, a Nebraska football decade, all-decade thing yet because I'm saving all that stuff for the offseason because Bo, Bo Rude and I have some big ideas and big things planned in the offseason with kind of looking back on this decade of Husker football. So get ready for that. So today, it's just going to be focused on hoops. I definitely want to do an all-decade team for for Creighton and Nebraska. This was fun, by the way, kind of putting a pen to paper, figuring out you know, who made the cut, who didn't, and whittling it down. And here's the thing, when when you're kind of making a list like this, there obviously there's there's a lot of ways to kind of go about setting your criteria for this, right? It can be like, oh, it's all about stats, it's all about uh accolades, it's no, it's all about just it's gotta be about who you liked, et cetera, et cetera. The reality is it's a combination of all those things because there does have to be some element of just like opinion involved. Otherwise, we just kind of pull up the stats or pull up who was all conference or whatever and just take whoever kind of had the best stat or statistical career and boom. I mean, some of the guys that I have on these lists really only played like a season and a half or sometimes one year. So I kind of, it's, I gave a kind of, it was a blend of who I liked but then there also has to be some statistical stuff and accolades along with that. Um, but th- this was a lot of fun. So let's start with the Creighton All-Decade team, and then we'll get to Nebraska. I'm going to give uh, my, my All-Decade team, so I'm going to give five guys. I'm going to give like an, a six-man, and then I'm going to give the player of the decade and then the moment for each program of the past decade. So that's kind of the the plan for what you got to look at, look forward to here. All right, let's settle in here. Let me have a drink of my cold brew cough before I, before I, I rock this out. Here you go. Okay, here we go. Uh, for Creighton, let's start with uh, with with the guards. My first pick is going to be Maurice Watson. Uh, just a stud. Really only, unfortunately, played a, a, a year and a half at Creighton because obviously it was his injury his senior year. But you look at Watson, he was – Second team all Big East his junior year. He led the Big East in assists. He was ninth nationally in assists that year. Uh, and that season ranked uh, second all-time in, in single-season assists at Creighton. Uh, so he, was, he had an outstanding junior year. And then he was also having an outstanding senior year, as was the Blue Jays. You realize, so Creighton that, that, that year – uh, Watson senior year with Marcus Foster, Kyrie Thomas, Cole Huff, Justin Patton, and then Watson at the PG. Creighton was eighteen and one before Watson tore his ACL. Eighteen and one. Their only loss was to Villanova. And when Watson went down, he was leading the nation in assists and assists per game before he tore his ACL. So he he was an elite passer, and in a lot of ways. He was one of, he, he was, you know, I know that Doug McDermott's senior year, that was the first year in the Big East, but it kind of felt like it was weird. It was like, okay, so you had that team that was kind of already constructed and and was arguably the, the, the most special group Creighton's ever had. Then you had the kind of 
the the season after Doug where you had a bunch of guys that were kind of recruited to play in the Valley and now having to do it without Doug. And then, it, then, then Watson showed up. And in a lot of ways, Maurice Watson was the perfect guard to lead Creighton into the new Big East. He was fearless. He was confident. And I think his confidence rubbed off onto all the other guys as they kind of went into some hostile situations, Nova, Marquette, Butler, whatever the case is. Plus, Watson had a a chip on his shoulder to prove that he belonged and he was you know, as good as anybody, which was kind of how Creighton felt as a program moving into the Big East, right? Just just and as he's as good of a college passer as I've ever seen. He was an elite ball handler, uh, was also an elite finisher at the rim. I mean, he, didn't, he, he was a, a guy that didn't play above the rim, but he knew how to get it high off the glass, little flips, floaters, left hand, right hand. You know, I think him and Ryan Sears are the greatest point guards ever at Creighton. Side note, I will say this. I do think Marcus Zagorowski is on pace to become the greatest point guard ever at Creighton, to supplant both guys. But we'll cross that bridge when when it comes. But there is no doubt that when you're making an all-decade team for for Creighton, I think Maurice Watson has to be your point guard. Even though guys like you know Austin Chapman or Antoine Young might have statistically, just because of the totality of the amount of time they were here, uh, ha- have it have some more feathers in their cap statistically. Um, I just Watson just to me was was the best point guard that played at Creighton for this past decade. Easy choice for the all-decade team. All right, next guard, Kyrie Thomas. When you look at Kyrie Thomas, he is, first of all, one of the the feathers in the cap of Greg McDermott in terms of spotting talent and developing talent has to be Kyrie Thomas. I mean, think about it. Just kind of say this out loud. He went from under the radar at Omaha Benson to leaving early to the NBA after his junior year. Quite a journey. Great career. Two-time Big East Defensive Player of the Year. Second-team All-Big East his junior year. He started 95 games in three years. He took a huge jump from his freshman to his sophomore year and then averaged double figures the last two years at Creighton, 12 points per game and then 15 points per game. Uh, and the thing that the thing about Kyrie Thomas that made him really unique was obviously the defensive side of things, and we'll get to that in a second. But he was one of the more efficient guards that you'll see. Think about this now. Kyrie Thomas shot 51% from the field for his career and shot 40% for three for his career. Think about that. He's a 50-40 guy for his career. That's pretty impressive. He was third uh, this decade in points scored when you look at the Rob Anderson tweeted out a huge spreadsheet of all this, the statistical leaders from just this decade made it really cool easy to be able to do this but third this decade in points scored uh, for for Creighton most uh, steals this decade obviously and then obviously I also think he was an underrated rebounder for for this decade think about this for this decade Kyrie Thomas is fourth in rebounding behind all big guys, McDermott, Echenique, Martin Crample, and then Kyrie Thomas. So just a, a well-rounded player, but defensively, the guy, that that's where his, you know, that was his identity. Uh, just unbelievably long arms, great instincts, 
learned to pick and choose his times to reach and try to go for steals. Did it too much as a young player, but tightened all that up. And then got to the point where watching that guy chase dudes through screens, he was like, you couldn't screen him. You, you couldn't, he knew how to, you know, contort his body to get around pin downs and, and anticipate. It was just, he's as good of, I would say the two best on ball defenders I feel like I've seen with my own two eyes in college since I was kind of either started playing college or just broadcasting or coaching are Tony Allen at Oklahoma State. Tony Allen was a bad mother. Tony Allen was really good. And then Kyrie. I mean, just an an elite defensive player uh, that was almost akin to like a, uh, you know, like with with Revis in his prime or Deion Sanders, you could just kind of like eliminate one side of the field and just say like, well, he's, you know, we'll just stick Deion on whoever and that person's getting nothing. That's kind of how Kyrie got to be for the last like two years or season and a half in particular, where it was like, it didn't matter who came to town or who who Kyrie was guarding, he was going to shut him down. Just an unbelievable story, unbelievable defender, and then a guy whose offensive skills just continued to improve as uh, seemingly each week that he was uh, in Omaha. Just an unbelievable, unbelievable career for Kyrie Thomas. Easy choice. Next guard. I'm going to go with the K-State transfer, Marcus Foster. Um, you know, was was a guy that came in with a lot of hoopla. Now, he came in having kind of falling out uh, with, with Bruce Reber at Kansas State. But you you could see the talent. I remember, Fran, I remember, I remember talking to Fran Fraschilla, who covers the Big 12. And he was saying, you know, honestly, when, when they were both – young players, Buddy Heald and Marcus Foster were kind of like neck and neck. And really a lot of people preferred Marcus Foster. So like, that's how good this guy was. And then continued to be at Creighton. So he came in, uh, he was recruited by Greg McDermott and Steve Lutz, uh, out of high school. So then when he decided to, to leave Kansas state, there was already a relationship. He comes to Creighton and was a stud. Two-time first-team All-Big East guard. I mean, think like when you kind of think of the Big East, I think of I think of guards, like really good, really good lead backcourt players. I mean, two-time first-team All-Big East, and second in this decade in scoring behind Doug, obviously. So if you think about it, I mean, and Doug, we'll get to Doug. I mean, he scored three thousand points, but like you know, you you think about. If Doug wasn't, you eliminate Doug. You're, you're, this was the guy that that was the leading scorer this decade for for Creighton, and only played two years. Um, just big bodied, strong, athletic, consistent scorer. You know, a guy that you know. The, one of the marks of a great scorer is you truthfully feel like you can pencil in you know eighteen a night, no matter what. And that's how it got with Marcus Foster, where. Every single time he he suited up, you felt like you just said, yep, he's even if he doesn't have his A game, he's getting 18. Capable of big nights, uh, played with a uh, an irrational confidence and and sometimes a shot selection that bordered on no, 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 yes kind of stuff where you're like, oh, what are you doing? I think it oh it kind of all came to a head with his uh his go-ahead three-pointer in the Big East tournament against Xavier, where it looked like Creighton was gonna hold for one shot. And in the garden, Marcus Foster just pulls up from the left wing for three and buries it. You know, he was a guy that was just uber confident, uh, 
just a, a great, great player uh, that that I that I think is an easy selection for one of the guard spots for your all-decade team. So Marcus Foster there. All right, now we're getting to the two forwards. We got to go with, uh, let's just get the obvious out of the way, Doug McDermott. I mean, by now you guys can recite his accolades in, in your sleep, but three-time All-American, was the National Player of the Year his senior year, led the country in scoring, twenty basically 27 points per game. He is one of 10 players in college basketball history to score 3,000 points. Two-time Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year, was the Big East Player of the Year. Just one of, when, when you're looking at, he, he may not, when you're talking all-time great college basketball players, when you look at just how at their accolades, Doug's one of the most decorated, accomplished, statistical college basketball players that that the college games ever seen. It was unbelievable to watch that guy's career progress, and to have him come in as a guy that I mean, think about it coming out of college, coming out of high school, his only offers were Northern Iowa, Central Florida, and Creighton, and then to see him. Follow his dad from uh, when he came from Iowa State to to take the Creighton job. Got out of Northern Iowa, came to Creighton, and every year he just got better and better and better. And then also his game evolved. Like people got to remember, like when Doug was a a freshman and and even in parts of his sophomore, he was like more of a back to the basket, like low post scorer. And then he really improved as a ball handler. He really improved improved as a as a creative shot maker. But just was a guy that was a relentless scorer, man. Like I tell people, you don't get you don't get 26, 27 a night just on accident. That guy worked his ass off. And that guy, that guy played harder than maybe anybody I've seen in college basketball. Like that guy, that that guy outworked everybody, ran the floor. Uh, moved without the ball like that's what he does best is the way he moves off the ball but it was it was pretty remarkable to have a front row seat for his four years where he would it was the everybody's defensive game plan was centered around stopping him and no matter what they tried to do he got his so we talked about how Marcus Foster you could pencil in 18 with Doug you felt like you could pencil in 25 I mean think about that now Really think about that. Doug scoring 24, 25 points felt like you were like, yeah, Doug was just okay tonight. <laughs> it was it was remarkable. It was absolutely remarkable to watch that dude play. Uh, just, you know, underrated, tough, you know, in terms of just like his, his mental competitiveness. Uh, had a lot more FU killer to him than people think. I mean, obviously, is an easy choice for the all-decade team. By the way, file this for for at some point. I got in in the waiting in the chamber. I recorded a unbelievable podcast interview with Doug in August. So when Doug was coming back to get inducted into the Creighton Hall of Fame, I said I did a forty-five minute sit down where we did a deep dive on his his career. Like we went from his freshman year. We got in depth, and then a sophomore year, and then a junior year, then a senior year, and I'm just sitting on it because, like, 
when we launched the pod, it was football season and it kind of didn't make a ton of sense to run the Doug interview. And so I was like, ah, and then it just, before you know it, you kind of, you go a while and, and you don't know when you want to run it. But I, at some point, man, I'm going to release that thing and you guys are going to love it. But Doug McDermott, obviously easy selection for uh, all decade team. And then my, uh, my final big man for, to round out my Creighton all decade team, uh, Justin Patton only played one season, but he was incredible. Much like Kyrie Thomas, one of the more amazing stories in terms of spotting a spotting talent, a diamond in the rough, watching him blossom and grow into being an unbelievable player to the point where he was a one and done. I'm not going to lie; I tell this people to, the, to people all the time. And I, I living in Omaha when Justin Patton committed to Creighton, I had never heard of him. And think about that: I'm, I'm I live in lived in Omaha. You know, like, and I, I'd see on Twitter, so, yeah, Justin Patton, come in. I'm like, who is Justin Patton from Omaha North? Really? Who? And I remember texting D-Rock, Coach DeVries, who's now the head coach at Drake. And I said, Justin Patton? And D-Rock immediately called me and said, I'm telling you, this guy is a hidden gem. He's going to be an unbelievable player. He's really, you know, he's got to get stronger and all this stuff. And he was right. So another feather in the cap of the Creighton staff of spotting talent developing talent and sending it to the league like that's the thing I just don't I don't think people kind of understand about like Creighton's program how it's been pretty damn good under Greg McDermott with like they've sent multiple guys to the league and multiple guys that were kind of just like nothing coming out of high school but Justin Patton just one of the more breathtaking he made about his his redshirt freshman year the only year he played at Creighton he made two to three jaw-dropping plays a game, whether it was a big block, an alley-oop dunk, uh, run the floor, catch, finish. But there were you knew when you watched Patton play, there was going to be about two to three plays where you went, holy shit. <laughs> and, and it didn't take long for you to go, man, this guy might be like a one-and-done dude. Remember the one of the famous quotes after uh, after Creighton kicked St. John's butt. Uh, Chris Mullen went to the podium afterward and said he said Patton looked like Marcus Camby out there today. I don't know for them young those young boys out there. I don't know Marcus Camby is Marcus Camby's unbelievable player. But you look at JP Justin Patton's uh, one year at Creighton. He was the Big East Rookie of the Year. He was second team All Big East, um, and then was the 16th pick in the NBA draft. But but these were the two big ones. Look at this. Listen to this. So his freshman year, he finished second in the nation in field goal percentage, shooting 67% from the floor. And that mark, 67% field goal percentage as a freshman, that's second in NCAA history. So in terms of field goal percentage by a freshman. So think about that. Justin Patton, second in NCAA history in field goal percentage as a freshman. Just a unbelievable player. Uh, it was, he, he's a guy that, you know, whenever, whenever, because certain guys don't like to, don't want to redshirt and, and I get it, you know, redshirting is not for everybody. It's not fun. Right. But like, he's a guy that I know the coaching staff was really torn up until the last few days before they had to make a decision on whether or not they're going to redshirt him or not. But he is one of the poster childs for why you need to redshirt, why some guys should, should embrace redshirting. 
because he went from a guy that was like, you know, b- would have helped but was borderline rotation to being a one and done. But, you know, he he worked hard on his body. He still was skinny, but he put on, you know, 25 pounds and, and you know, worked on his, his skill. And he was just a dude that was like, it was incredible to watch him. Yeah, I feel like I said this about a lot of the guys where it just was with Doug or Kyrie Thomas or Justin Patton where it was like, you felt like every week he got better. Every week. But Justin Patton, easy pick. So th- those are that's my all-decade team for Creighton. Maurice Watson, Kyrie Thomas, Marcus Foster, Doug McDermott, Justin Patton. Now my sixth man, I got to go with my guy, Grant Gibbs. The ultimate glue guy. And I don't mean that as like some people t- like glue guy means like you're like a like a shot or something like that like meeting no he just was the ultimate connector player tough smart great passer very much more of a capable scorer than you think and then the big thing is he had great chemistry with Doug McDermott those guys were always they had a synergy and a chemistry and a trust on the floor unbelievable chemistry with Doug McDermott. But you think about Gibbs. So this decade in Creighton basketball, Gibbs ranks, just this decade, Gibbs ranks first in assists, third in steals, fourth in games started, fifth in minutes, fifth in free throws made and attempted, and seventh in rebounds. Dude was a stud. Dude was a winner. And, you know, Obviously, Doug was the guy, you know, like the star. But Gibbs was the Gibbs was the leader. G- Gibbs was the guy. You know what I mean? Like he he was the you know when when there needed to be a, a huddle in a game and the pl- and players kind of talking it out, locker and stuff like that was Gibbs. Total stud, easy selection to you know when you're talking about this decade of crank uh, of Creighton basketball, you have to include uh, talking Grant Gibbs. Period. Uh, player of the decade, who do you think? <laughs> Doug McDermott. I mean, hell, you've seen out whether it's Mike DeCourcy or different people doing write-ups on like the all-decade team in all of college basketball. Doug's on the this decade or this decade for national college basketball. He he's there all on the all-decade team. And some for some, you can make a case he's the national player of the year for this decade or player of the decade, I should say. I mean. Again, three-time All-American, 3,000-point scorer, National Player of the Year, led the nation in scoring. Really, the only thing that was missing from his resume was an NCAA tournament run, you know? But Doug was just, he he was like, a, he was from his, each year, he was like, a, I, I, I kind of created this thing where he was like an iPhone, where each year there was a new feature. It's like, okay, now he's got it, now he's got a little, he's got a, He's got a pull up three. Now he's got a one foot Dirk fadeaway. Now he's got this. Like each year, there was like you know the iPhone comes out and there's some new feature to it. That's how Doug was. That's how that's how Doug was. So easy choice for player of the decade. All right, let's go to Nebraska. This was the, there's. I feel like the Creighton one was a little more obvious. This one there's a was a little more challenging. I wrote down about eight or nine names. And I think there's going to be some some guys left off this list that were either A, maybe more talented, or B, had a better statistical career than guys 
uh, guys that made my list, but some of it's also like personal preference too. But here we go. My Nebraska All-Decade team. I guess I'll just go to the one that maybe is a, is slightly controversial for some people. I, listen, man, Lance Jeter was a really good player. Lance Jeter would be my starting point guard for the All-Decade team for Nebraska. Big-bodied, uh, strong, tough lead guard. Started every game in his two years at Nebraska. Finished 14th in career assists. His 279 assists in two years is the highest total in school history for a two-year run. His senior year, and again, you got to remember, this was when uh, Nebraska was in the Big 12. I mean, the Big 12 was stupid loaded for a little while. I mean, it's, it's in a lot of, the, the Big 12 has been, in terms of Ken Palm and Conference RPI, been probably the top, I'd say over the course of the decade, the Big 12 has been the best basketball conference. Even though the and I know you'd be like, what about the ACC? Eh, go check the go check the Ken Palm numbers, all this stuff. Usually, it's the Big Twelve. But his senior year, Lance Jeter finished second in the Big Twelve in assist to turnover ratio, fifth in assists per game, and fourth in steals. His senior year, he led his team to the NIT. Uh, he he was a guy that I thought, and he's had a really good pro career, but he was a guy that that is almost one of those names that gets forgotten that was a really good player. I, I thought I thought the, the these were the last couple of years of Doc. I thought I thought the like these teams were pretty good. You know, Lance Jeter, Ryan Anderson, like they, they were better than they were, you know, they were close. They were like close to to punching through, but just kind of couldn't quite do it. And in order to do that, you gotta have a good lead guard. I thought I thought Lance Jeter was a was a pretty damn good player. I put Lance Jeter on my my all-decade team for Nebraska. All right. Next guard that I put on the uh, Nebraska all-decade team, Taram Petaway. Started every game in his two years at Nebraska. Um, spearheaded what was just an incredible day, which was no-sit Sunday when Nebraska beat Wisconsin. Uh, led Nebraska to the NCAA tournament. Scored over 1,100 points in two seasons at Nebraska. He was 18 points per game both years. Uh, he led the Big Ten in scoring his first year at Nebraska. He was first team all-conference his first year at Nebraska in, in the Big Ten. An, an, a relentless scorer that you were really scared of if you had to go against. Because he was one of those guys, like if, you, if he was feeling it, he was going to he was going to rip your heart out. Now, at the same time, he was a guy that his shot selection, he had a little Marcus Foster in him where he he was going to, they were going up. Didn't matter if it was contested, step backs, whatever. Trent Petaway was going to get him up. But Petaway was a guy, big bodied, uh, really a, a, a pretty damn good athlete. And, you know, a guy that, that, that played with an edge and was just one of those dudes that, if you had to, when when you were gonna have to guard Terran Petaway, you you were you were he was one of those guys that he could make tough shots, and those guys are sometimes scary to guard because it, it there's nothing you can really do because Marcus Foster was a lot like that. The guy I'm gonna name next for uh, for Nebraska was a lot like that too. Like where they can hit those 17 foot fall away contested shot. Like he, Petaway was a guy that could do all those things. Wasn't you know? 
I always thought he could have been a little bit more well-rounded of a player in terms of a rebounder and defender, but man, he could really score. And what kind of jump-started Tim Miles' career here at or career at Nebraska was Terran Petaway. So to me, he was an easy selection for uh, the all-decade team. The next guard, James Palmer Jr., really was kind of like exactly like Terran Petaway from the sense of like you had a, a you know Petaway transfer from Texas Tech, Palmer transfers from Miami. They they immediately start their for two years. Electric scores, uh, so very similar path. Palmer started every game as two years at Nebraska, seventeen points per game, and then nineteen points per game. 1,276 points in two seasons at Nebraska is crazy. Also, when you look in the record books, single season scoring record at Nebraska, 708 points, James Palmer. I mean, think about that. So, I mean, an electric score. He's also the single season in shots and free throws attempted. So he was just... He was, like Petaway, he was uber aggressive, and he did just an incredible job of getting fouled and getting to the free throw line. He was first team all conference, uh, just a, a guy that I, I I grew to really, really th- enjoy watching him play. Was just Im- basically impossible to keep out of the lane. Uh, knew, how to, knew how to draw contact in... A rough, tough Big Ten, he could just put his head down, get into the lane, get fouled, go to the line, make two, and then the next possession, do it again. And that 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 wears on you. But he had a he played with a toughness and a willingness to to stick his nose in the paint and attack the Big Ten bigs that I thought was was excellent. Just a a a, a unique player in the sense that he wasn't necessarily he was a he was a guy that was a lot more vertically explosive than he probably seemed. I mean, he had a couple in-traffic dunks that were uh, incredible, but uh, kind of a, a glider on the floor. Uh, on the floor, so he, he kind of had a unique game in that regard. But James Palmer, uh, you know, in my opinion, that was he's the best wing Nebraska had. You, you'd have to go back to you know the Eric Strickland, Teron Liu. Days. I mean, you got to go back to the. You, I mean, he's he's the best wing Nebraska's had in twenty years. So James Palmer Jr. one hundred percent on my all decade team. Now getting to my forwards, and this this next guy was kind of like a hybrid three four, but Siobhan Shields, a dude that was reliable, dependable, consistent. He started a hundred and twelve games at Nebraska, including every game his sophomore year, every game his junior year, every game his senior year. He averaged double figures his last three seasons, 12 points per game as a sophomore, 15 points per game as a junior, 16 points per game as a senior, was a guy that couldn't go left to save his life. <laughs> he, he, it, it blew me away. How either – it blew me away how stupid some defensive teams would be defensively in, in like – allowing him to go right but but the reality is you could force the guy left and he would he what he would do is he would go like one or two dribbles to the left he'd always spin and get back to his right hand but that's also a mark of a great player is like you know it's coming and you can't stop it 
You knew he was going right every time, and the dude got to his right hand, got all the way to the basket, or got fouled. You couldn't do anything about it. It just, I was like, man, I used to joke on the radio. I'm like, I want to just play Shields one-on-one just to see what it's like on how it's, how hard it is to keep him from getting to his right hand. He was one of those players uh, that I should have said this about Palmer too. Shields and Palmer had an ability to always be going north and south when they were penetrating. Like some guys, you know, it's a lot of crossovers east-west. And then they got to kind of ramp up and go north-south. Like Palmer and Shields, when they penetrated, they're always coming into you and at you. And I think that's why both those guys got to the line so much. Just they were, they were, they were barreling into guys, seeking out contact at a really high level. He was one of those guys that was uh, a pretty underrated player. Siobhan Shields, easy pick for me for all-decade team at one of the forward spots. Last spot on my all-decade team has to go to Isaiah Roby. Now, it's weird. When you look at, like, when I comb through Roby's statistics, he didn't have the most statistically heralded, amazing career. In large part because his career didn't get off to a roaring start. He only averaged three points per game as a freshman. Think about that. And how many people, like, you could always kind of, like, see, like, man, there's, like, he was always one of those guys that you'd watch and go, like, man, that guy's kind of got some potential, doesn't he? Like, he saw something. Like, there's something there. But the biggest thing that happened to him was, if I'm not mistaken, it was between his freshman and sophomore year, this dude blew up in the weight room. And it changed his career. He was a skinny, because uh, he's never been an overly physical player, but he was kind of a skinny, lanky, versatile, like, is he a guard? Is he a big? What is he? And then from his freshman to sophomore year, he he exploded in the weight room. I remember seeing, he, you didn't see him for a while, and then I saw a picture of him, and I was like, Isaiah Roby looks like he ate Isaiah Roby. It was just enormous, and it changed his career because what it did was it allowed him to play the five, and he became a small ball five nightmare because he could handle the ball. He could he could get a rebound and lead the break. He could guard basically one through five. He could pass. He got to where he was a you know mid thirties three point shooter, and he was a guy that I think just in some ways he had a reluctancy to shoot and should have shot more of them. Uh, and then much like Roby, much like Patton, Roby by the end of his career would make two to three holy shit plays a game, whether it was like a, a in traffic dunk a weak side block, a coast-to-coast you know, rebound between the legs, uh, pushing it at half court, pat, like something where you just went, whoa. But Ro- I-, I thought Roby was outstanding. Outstanding. 11 points per game, seven rebounds per game, 1.9 blocks per game his final year. He's ninth all-time in single-season blocks with 66 blocks, which is the most blocks in a season since 2001. 
And the big thing is that he snapped a drought of draft picks from Nebraska. He's the first NBA draft pick from Nebraska in 20 years. So Isaiah Roby, uh, awesome player, unbelievable career, unbelievable story, easy pick for my all-decade team. My sixth man for Nebraska's all-decade team. I went with Ty Webster. Ty Webster had an interesting career. I think in some ways, he was he was a guy who was kind of a victim of high expectations. He I think it was Fran Fraschilla had a tweet or a quote that basically said if Ty Webster played high school basketball in the United States, he'd be a, a top 100 player, a four or five star recruit. Because remember, he's from Australia, from New Zealand. And I remember kind of, people kind of took that and ran with it. And he I'm not sure there was a... He, he was one of the most hyped incoming freshmen for Nebraska basketball in the past 20 years. He was a really hyped up guy. And his career kind of got off to a slow start. But man, by, the, by his senior year, he was a... He was a really consistent player. He started 83 games. He played in 127 games. He scored 1,116 points, 17 points per game as a senior. Uh, tough, strong, pretty damn good college basketball player But when it was all said and done. But again, I think he was one of those guys, like people kind of at times are like, man, Webster, what, what? it's not really clicking for me. A lot of that was was a product of people thought he was going to come in and like, I, th- I know there were some people that saying like, is Webster going to, is he going to be a one and done or a two? Like he won't be here after a sophomore year. It was like, whoa, whoa, let's let the guy play a game here. So he was, the, the hype machine kind of churned him, churned him out. But, you know, for me, Ty Webster, six man. Player of the decade for Nebraska, to me, it's James Palmer. I, I said it when I'm talking about the guy. Uh, he he's the best wing to play at Nebraska since you know Strickland or uh, best guard to play at Nebraska since Strickland and and uh, Teron Liu and those guys. Just a, a a great scorer. That you know when when you think about some of the best teams of the past uh, of the past twenty years at Nebraska, Petaway or uh, Palmer kind of led the charge on those teams. And. You know, a guy that that was. Uh, you, you look at his his statistical scoring in two years. Just again, one thousand two hundred seventy six points in two seasons. I mean, scoring a thousand points in four years is is good. He he scored twelve over twelve hundred in two years. So for me, easy easy selection for uh, the player of the decade. So there you go. That's the Nebraska side of things. What one last thing? You know what? What kind of I thought hurt, and I thought it was hilarious listening to people try to spin zone this thing, was Petaway leaving a year early hurt. Hurt Miles. And listen, I get it. You know, he was kind of a he had a he was an interesting personality and was and uh there were some people like, oh man, that's addition by subtraction. I'm like, really? No, it's not. <laughs> like uh, I, I yeah, like were there times maybe Petaway was a headache for a certain maybe, but like, you know what's nice is a guy that scores eighteen points a game. But everybody, oh man, it's addition by subtraction. Like, no, you're not thinking of yourself with that one. 
But I thought that Petaway leaving early hurt. Really hurt uh, Miles and, and the trajectory of things. Moment of the decade as we put a bow on this thing. The cool thing about this, <clears throat> and you guys probably realize this, but if you don't, the moment of the decade for both Creighton and Nebraska happened in the same weekend in the same 24-hour span. Saturday, March 15th, 2014. Sunday, March 16th, 2014. The moments of the decade for Creighton and Nebraska. Saturday, March 15th, Creighton hosting Providence. It is Doug McDermott's senior night. And before we get into Doug, the, the other thing about that night that was cool is, okay, yeah, not only is it the greatest player in Creighton history's final home game, but you talked to a lot of Creighton fans. They had fallen in love with that team. Uh, Jahens Managa, Ethan Raggi, uh, Grant Gibbs. Like, they, they had fallen in love with that core group. And that's one of the fun things about college basketball that I, I worry that you're not going to see as much with the with whether it's one-and-dones or transfers is like, a core group coming in and be watching them grow and develop for three, four years. But so not only was that night special for Doug, but it was special for that group because that was a special group. But Doug McDermott's senior night, Providence, he goes off for 45 points in his final farewell home game as a, as a Blue Jay. Now, I think he needed to get to like, it was like he needed to get to 34 or 35, maybe to get to 3,000. And, you know, Providence was a really good team that year, and they played a slow style. Uh, you know, they ran flex offense, which eats clock, and they they sat in a zone at times. And it was like going into that game, you said to yourself, like, man, he's going to get to 3,000 points eventually, but I don't think it's going to happen tonight because, you know, it's hard to score a bunch on Providence. But you could tell right away that Doug had that look and was on a mission that he was trying to get to 3000. Like it wasn't, it wasn't just about winning that night. It wasn't, it, it, that was kind of like a foregone conclusion to him. He was trying to put on a show and he was so aggressive and so locked in and had one of his patented, like first five, six minutes of the game, he had like 14 points just immediately. And you went, Oh boy. And then, you know, you started, there were murmurs in the crowd and you start doing the math. It's like, okay, he's all right. He's 20 points away. Okay. He's 15 points away. Oh my God. He's 10 points away. Oh my God. He's eight points away. Oh my God. He's five points away. And he hits a three to give him 3000 and John Bishop. I got to get like my guy Bishop nailed that call. If you haven't ever heard it, it's got to be on the radio he nailed it. He he said something. He said McDermott for three thousand. So it was it was per, just nailed it. But just a for for him to go for forty five for him to get to three thousand points as the greatest player in program history in his final home game in Omaha, unbelievable. Easy moment of the decade for the Blue Jays, and. I was on the call on the radio for that game, and then I the very next day, that was like a 7 o'clock tip that night. The next afternoon, it was a 1 o'clock tip, no-sit Sunday, Nebraska hosting Wisconsin. And this was a – if I'm not mistaken, this was a Wisconsin team that went to the Final Four. I mean, this was a really good Wisconsin team. You know, Nebraska was hot. 
They had gone on a big run here in the final 10, 12 games. They they were in all real, they were probably the hottest team in the country at the time. And it felt like it, being in the building that game cuz I was able to go to that game just as a fan, you know. It felt like a couple things with that with this game. It felt like it was like 40 to 50 years of frustration for Nebraska basketball fans just pouring out into one game. You know, of like not being able to get to the tournament, not being able to win a game in the tournament, some losing seasons, having to go fire coach. Like there was, it just felt like it was a decade's worth of frustration spilling out into emotion for one 40 minute game. And it, the atmosphere at that game, that's one of those things that people may think that it's gotten embellished over the years. I'm telling you, I was there. It was not. I have played at Rupp Arena. I have obviously played uh, and seen and played in huge games at Allen Fieldhouse. No Sit Sunday was as good of an atmosphere for college basketball as I've ever seen. It, it was unbelievable. Anybody that was there is nodding in agreement right now. I don't think you get the energy in the arena. Like I can't, I can't even explain it to you. I think, I think it's why Petaway pulled up for three early in the game. I think to make it like nine to two or ten to two or something like that. And Wisconsin, Bo Ryan had to call timeout. And Pavelka on the radio call called it a dagger, which is like, you know, I mean, there was like five minutes. It was fifteen minutes to go in the first half. You can't have a dagger, but it was. But in Kent's defense, it felt like a dagger because it was like. The, the roar of the crowd, it, it was just, I can't describe it. It was unbelievable. And it felt like Nebraska had to, you know, you win this game, you're in the NCAA tournament. Capping off a magical month and a half run for Nebraska. And not only did the players show up, but I don't know if I've ever seen like the crowd, it, it it was everyone was was locked in, screaming, engaged the entire time. It was unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. So to me, an easy moment of the decade. No sit Sunday, March fifteenth, twenty fourteen for for Nebraska. March sixteenth, uh, just really. I mean, I've been to. I was at the Oklahoma game. You know, stunts to crouch in two thousand one. Like, No Sit Sundays on my short list of coolest Nebraska sporting events. Hell, I could even extrapolate it to sporting events. Like, I'm not sure if I sat down and didn't write down the 10 coolest sporting events I've been to that, I, that No Sit Sunday isn't one of them. And it's a pretty nondescript. Like, if I told that to some outsider, they'd be like, a random final game that, like, was this to win the Big Ten tournament? No, no, was it? But like, was it in the NCAA tournament? No, no, was it in the NCAA tournament? Well, why was it? It just was, you had to be there. You had to be there. Just incredible. And I remember doing it because I was hosting the radio show at the time. And I, I remember sitting down to show prep that Monday morning. I mean, again, this is a Saturday, Sunday. 24-hour period in the state of Nebraska. Doug McDermott goes for 45 points, gets over 3, 000, goes for over 3,000 points in his career. Final senior 
final game for the greatest player in program history. And then no sit Sunday happens. And I, I remember sitting down to show prep and I'm like, I don't know which game to lead the show with. Because leading the show, like that was a big deal. And like, hey, what's the big story of the day? What's the big topic of the day? You lead with that. And I, I, I said, I'm like, I, I don't. I'm like, oh, it's got to be Doug and, and 45 points. But then I'm like, man, I don't know. It was, it was hard. I do remember also I, uh, another anecdote with the, the Doug game. Which, by the way, in my pod that I'll release with Doug eventually, he talks about this game in depth, and it's really cool to get his thoughts. But Greg Doyle, and people are going, who's Greg Doyle? Greg Doyle used to be a columnist for CBSSports.com, a national sports columnist. Now he is a columnist for the Indianapolis Star. And I got to know Greg a little bit, just you know, having him on radio shows um, over the years and just running into him in different sporting events. And I remember running into him uh, at the – he was at the the Creighton game where Doug goes for 45 points. You know, and he – I think there are a lot of people who thought, you know, this is a guy that's, you know, pretty amazing story, uh, going to go over 3,000 points, and he and he goes to, to cover this game for CBSSports.com. And I remember I had Greg Doyle on the show the, the, the Monday after the game, and he said he kept the box score of that game. He said, you could tell in the moment this is going to be one of those, like, I like you want to show people I was at that game. And, you know, D- Greg Doyle talked about, he goes, I, I go to Super Bowls, I go to this, I go to that, all these big things. He goes, I, I, there are times I don't think about keeping the box score for a second. But I got a hold of that box score and said, I'm keeping this. I thought that was a cool little anecdote from, from Greg Doyle. So there you go. There's a little uh, – a little, Pseudo kind of decade in review for both Creighton and Nebraska basketball. In review for Creighton, my all-decade team, Maurice Watson, Kyrie Thomas, Marcus Foster, Doug McDermott, Justin Patton, my six-man, Grant Gibbs, and my player of the decade is uh, Doug McDermott. For Nebraska, all-decade team, Lance Jeter, Taran Petaway, James Palmer, Siobhan Shields, Isaiah Roby, with my six-man being Ty Webster. And the player of the decade, I gave it to James Palmer. And then the moments of the decade, Doug Senior Night goes off for 45 points, over three, gets over 3,000 points for his career over Providence. And then no sit Sunday, Nebraska beating Wisconsin. Oh, that was good. So no football, though. I'm, I'm saving it, guys. I'm saving it for the offseason. Bo Rude and I are going to have some really in-depth look-back features on this decade in Nebraska football. So just just get ready for that for kind of the spring and the summer. Reminder, make sure you go subscribe to the podcast. That way, anytime you want to listen to a pod, man, it's right there, automatically downloaded to your phone. Make sure you just hit that subscribe button, hit it, uh, give it a five-star rating while you're there, share it on Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. Uh, It is uh, helpful for me, but it is also helpful for you. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Nick Bob Podcast. Appreciate you guys making uh, me a part of your day, and I will holler at you next time on the pod.